You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So if somebody said to you, I want to ask you what the most important thing in your life is, you would have an answer for them, right? If somebody said, what is the one thing that is more important than every other thing in your life? you would be able to respond to that, right? So of all the things that matter to you and of all the things that are really important in your life, is there one that is much more important than all the other even important things? And I think you would have an answer for that. So Jesus says it this way, okay? If if you gain the whole world, meaning if you got all the other things, what would it profit a person if they gained all the other things but lost out on the most important thing? And so what Jesus is saying is that there is one thing that is much more important than all the other things in your life, even the important things. In fact, somebody asked him one day, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, I have an answer for you. It's that you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what he was saying was, there's a lot of important commandments, but there's one commandment that is more important than all the other commandments, even the really important ones. One thing matters more than anything else matters in your life. Now here's our struggle. We tend to spend a lot of energy, a lot of time. We tend to spend our lives doing a lot of things that aren't as important as the most important thing And we struggle sometimes to make time for the one thing that is most important. Let let me tell you what I'm talking about. Once in a while, people are just extremely transparent with me. And sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, hey, we love the church and we love coming and we come a lot on Sunday mornings and we always leave saying it was really good. We're glad we went. But we're not very consistent because our lives are so full. And we can only get there on certain Sundays of every month. But when we do come, we really like it. Or people will say to me, Pastor, I know that I should study the Word of God more because I'm really intrigued when I study the Bible. And I would like to go to some of the studies that you offer in the fall. But our lives are so full already that we don't really have any time to add anything else to our schedules. Or I know that I ought to pray, and I, and I think that praying would be a really good thing. And in my heart, I really desire to connect with God in prayer. But my problem is, is that we stay up so late at night because we got so much going on in our lives to think about getting up early in the morning to pray before I go and start my day. It just seems like too much. If I had less in my life, Would I have more? I mean, if if there was less in my life, then in reality, would I have actually more in my life? If if my life life was a little bit more empty, then would it would it really be a little more full? See, this idea of less is more I buy into completely. What if? What if I begin to let go of a few things in my life and and I actually had less going on than would my life in reality actually have more? 
So I'm making a challenge to you over the next few weeks, okay? And it's a simple challenge. You follow me? What if we simplified our lives? What if life become more simple? What if there was less in our lives instead of more? And so what I'm challenging you to do in these next few weeks, you to do in these next few weeks, is just begin to simplify with me. And begin to ask questions like, what could I let go of? What could I move out of my life so that I could focus on the one thing that is more important than all the other things in my life? And so, so the idea is this, simply this. Can I manage my life in order to have greater intimacy with Jesus? Is there a way that I can manage my life in order to have greater intimacy with Jesus. So, would you open your Bible with me and let's see what Jesus has to say about it, okay? We're in the book of Mark, and we'll be in chapter 4, and I'll start with verse 1, okay? The book of Mark, chapter 4, and I'll start with verse 1. So, one of the things that you may have too much in your life is, is that device that you hold in your hand. And so, if you're using it to read Scripture, that's okay. If you're using it for anything else, you might just put it down, okay? And say, right now, I'm going to focus on the most important thing and not focus on all the other things, which some of them may be really important. All right? So, here we go. So, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. This is Mark telling the story. The crowd had gathered around him was so huge that he got into a boat. And he sat in it out on the lake while the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So you kind of got that picture in your mind. There's a lot of people to see Jesus. And the crowd is so big that Jesus says, hey, can you bring that boat over here? And Jesus gets in the boat and he says, okay, push out from shore a little bit. I'm going to create a stage and a little distance from the people where I can teach. And so that's what he does. So he taught them many things by parables. And in teaching said this. Listen. In other words, verse 3, I want you to pay attention, okay? So everybody listen. A farmer went out to sow a seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and they ate it up. And then some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Then other seed fell among thorns, which grew and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some even a 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So do you understand all of that and how you apply that to the kingdom? The disciples really didn't get it. They didn't really figure that out. And so here's what happens. So when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. Jesus, we really don't get it. We don't know what that was all about, what you just said. And so he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now we have a clue. He's talking about the kingdom of God in the parable. And he says that it is a secret, but it's now being revealed through the parable. Okay? But those on the outside, uh, but, though, but to those rather on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand the parable? How will you understand any parable? And in verse 14, he gives you the code. He unlocks the parable. He explains it. So here we go. Number one, 
The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed sowed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown to them. So, what he's saying is, the kingdom of God is being spoken. The word of God is going forth. And people hear it, but as soon as they hear it, it's kind of like they forget it. They don't remember what they heard. Then there's another group of people. Others, like seed sown on the rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So, Rick, what you're saying is there are other people who hear the word and they really like it. Yes, they love it. They're excited about it. Yes, they're very excited about it. But when trouble comes, they fall away. So they only follow for a really short time. Then there's a third group. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. So what he's saying is there's other people that hear the word, but their lives are so busy and their life is so full that they don't even realize that right in front of them the kingdom of God has taken place. And then the fourth group, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times was sown. So some people hear the word It takes root, it grows in their lives, and they become a part of the kingdom of God being established on earth. This is God's word for us today. It was probably a month ago or more. I stood here on a Sunday morning, and I was making announcements, and I said, we got lots of students on their way to church camp, and so I want you to pray for all the students going to church camp and all the children, because sometimes... When they get away, they begin to hear God speak to them. And so sure enough, students and children all headed off to church camp. When they came back, we heard all these great reports about they really did hear from God. Lives were changed. Good things happened. And then we had a lot of students probably sitting over here to my left this morning who went to NYC, Nazarene Youth Conference. And so parents kept saying to me after they got home, man... Rick, it's amazing. I mean, this was a life changer for my student. It was really good. They went to NYC and it was great. I talked to David Busick some this week about it. He said, I was there. It was awesome. Kids' lives were changed. It was a really good thing. I know that when I go away for a spiritual retreat or I go to a camp and I just get there and I, I seem to get so close to God and I seem to grow in my faith and I, and I tend to hear God speaking to me, it's all really good. Because here's what happens. We go away, and we leave a lot of stuff at home. One of the things we leave at home is our busy schedules. We don't take them with us. It's a different kind of setting that we're in. And sometimes we leave our media at home. We don't take our our phones and our iPads and stuff like that with us. We just kind of leave them back. We're not going to be looking at the screen the whole time we're there. And sometimes we leave other things behind when we go away like that. And we're able to focus on God. We, we, we just leave all the things that we have to do. We just, we just leave them back at home. And, we're, and we say to ourselves, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to carve out this amount of time. And with this amount of time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to focus on God. 
I'm going to listen to his word. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to be singing worship songs. I'm going to be with lots of good Christian people. And I'm just going to focus on God. And what happens is when we come home, we say, oh, my goodness, I don't want this to ever go away. I love what I'm like now. And I love being focused on God. And I love hearing him speak to me. My life is going so good. But before long, sometimes... We find ourselves kind of back to the way things were. So why is that? And I think what Jesus does in the parable is he answers the question. Why is it that you go away and you focus on God and you seem to grow in your faith? And you feel so close to the Father. And then you come home and life kind of goes back to normal. How many times have you gone on a mission trip and you came home and you said, I will never, I'm telling you, I will never be the same again. But within a couple of months, you felt like you were the same again. Why does that happen? And so I think what Jesus does is he helps us understand. So let's talk about it a little bit, okay? So what Jesus does is he does something that's incredible. He always talks in terms of everyday life. And he tells stories that people can relate to. So I think if Jesus was sitting on the stool instead of me this morning, and he was talking to you guys, he would probably tell a story about going to Walmart. Because what Jesus did was he talked about everydayness all the time. And so the people that he is talking to understand really well that they are an agricultural society. And they understand what it means for a farmer to go out and just spread the seed, just throw the seed everywhere. They understand what that is all about. But it's more than a picture of a farmer sowing seed. It's a picture of God himself sowing the kingdom of Israel. Back in their own land. So I don't know if you heard that or not, but I want you to hear it. It's more than just a picture of a farmer sowing seed. It's a picture of God himself sowing the nation of Israel back into their own land. Here's the problem. After many years of exile, but here's the problem. It's how Jesus envisions God sowing seed. Because in the mind of the Hebrew, God is going to do this great thing. He's going to send His Messiah, God-anointed King. He's going to come. It's going to be a great movement, a great moment, a great restoration. God is going to do this new thing. And Israel is going to find its rightful place among the nations again. And Israel will be subject to nobody. In fact, other people will be subject to Israel. And this great Messiah King is going to rule. And Jesus says, no, I don't think that's what it's going to be like. I think it's going to be more like a farmer sowing seed. And some people are going to be in and some people are going to be out. And some people are going to hear it, but they're going to forget it almost immediately. And some people are going to get really excited and they're going to burn really bright, but they're going to go out really fast and they're only going to follow a short time. And some people are going to hear it and they're going to be excited, but they're going to be so wrapped up in the concerns of life and the, you know, deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things, not necessarily bad things, just other things. And they're not even going to know that right in front of them the kingdom of God is being established. But there's hope because some, some are going to hear the word 
And it's going to take root in their hearts, and it's going to grow, and they're going to be fruitful. So, I think the question that you would ask is, did Jesus want everybody to understand the parable? N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, says, maybe yes, maybe no. Rome did not want Israel to get uprisings in their communities. You can have your religion, you can have your temple, you can worship your God. We just don't want any major movements taking place. And any kind of kingdom movement would have been a threat in the eyes of Rome. But, but, but even the Hebrews, who were waiting for the Messiah, praying for the coming of the Messiah, probably saw it in a way very different than what Jesus saw it. And had they understood what Jesus was saying, they wouldn't have been okay. And so here's what Jesus says. Some hear the word and it will grow. Some they'll hear it and forget. Some will hear it and they'll love it, but they'll just kind of burn out. But then what I want to focus on today is Jesus says there are some who will hear the word. But their lives are so busy. And they've kind of bought into this deceitfulness of wealth that money or stuff will fix anything that's broken. And it's not true. Or maybe they just want things, other things, things just other than the kingdom of God. Not necessarily bad things. They just want a lot of other stuff in their life. And they are so busy with life that they have no idea that the kingdom of God is taking place in front of them. So, so here's, here's what we've got to ask this morning. What do you, what do, you do, okay? Uh, what, do you, what do you do with this? I, I, I believe in practical teaching. If somebody's not telling you what you do with it, I, I, think, I think that's not good. I think in order to have spiritual growth, we've got to sit down and say, here's the Word of God. I understand what Jesus is saying. Now what do I do with it? So let me, let me talk to you a little bit about that for a few minutes, okay? I went to staff meeting not too long ago before I talked to you. And I said to my staff, I said, uh, I want to talk to you today for a while about some stuff. God's speaking to me and He's not saying to me, I, I need to put a vision in your heart. I think what God is saying to me is that I want you to articulate the vision I've already put in your heart. And so I begin to say to the staff that I dream about the future of this church and I dream about my life. And what I dream about is us becoming the church that makes every effort to connect people with Jesus. I dream about us becoming a people who are passionate about connecting people to Jesus. People who go to any length, people who do anything, stop at no limits to try to connect people with Christ. But I understand that just to say we need to do that, it doesn't really change anything. And I understand that the reason we talk about Jesus is because we are in deep relationship with Him. And so Andrew spends the whole day with Jesus. And after he spends the whole day with Jesus, he goes and he finds his brother Peter. And he says, i got to take you back. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I've been spending time with Jesus. And I want you to spend time with Jesus. And so he goes and he looks for him and he finds him. And he brings him to Jesus. He stops at no limit. You've got to know Jesus like I know Jesus. And, and so for us to, to naturally share Jesus with people, I think it only comes out of a deep relationship with Jesus. And so, when we talk about going deep with Jesus, we would say, well, I need to do some stuff, right? 
I need to, I need to read my Bible, right? I mean, how, how will I, you know, be close to Jesus unless I, I'm into His Word? I mean, the world is telling you things every day. And where are you hearing truth? Really important stuff. And so I need to hear the truth of God's Word. Every day in my life, I need to be into the Word. And I need to be praying. I mean, how can I be close to the Lord if I'm not talking to the Lord? And I need to be serving and doing lots of other things. And, and at some point, we just kind of go, I don't know if I can take any more on. So I want you to do this little exercise with me, okay? It's kind of goofy. To be honest with you, it is. So some of you will do it. Some of you won't. I understand when I ask you to do things. Some people are like, I'm not doing that. And that's okay if you don't do it. But like, if I ask you to do it, like, Becky, you'll probably do it right. You're probably in. Okay, thanks a bunch, you know. Drew, not so much maybe. It's kind of iffy. I understand. I got it. So anyway, some of you will though. And so if you will, just do this with me, okay? So I just want you to take a deep breath in when I tell you it's time. And I just want you to hold it. And then I'm going to ask you to take another deep breath. And then another one. And then maybe another one. And hold it, okay? So you ready? So you might have to set up straight for this. Audience participation point in the sermon. Here we go. So everybody, take a deep breath. Just bring it in and hold it. Now don't let it out because I'm not letting mine out. Even though I'm talking, it's really hard not to let it out when you talk. Take one more. How are we doing? You feel okay? One more. Can you get one more in? Now hold it, hold it, hold it. Okay, let it go. Man, it feels good to let it go, doesn't it? I think that's what my staff tried to say to me that morning. We're all in. We want to connect people with Jesus. But I don't know how much more we can take in without letting something else out. And so there's this book I've been reading. And it's by a lady named Jan Johnson, and it's called Abundant Simplicity. And, and I'm telling you, I love the book in a sense because it calls my heart. I mean, I lay in bed at night and I think about this stuff. I really do. But there are other times when I want to throw this book. Okay, I threw it once, but that's beside the point. And the reason is, is because it is so countercultural, and you're wondering, can anybody really live this stuff? And sometimes, in the middle of just reading it, I just toss it back. Like, I, I can't deal with you right now. I don't know what you want me to do. And I think what the staff was saying was, Rick, we, we can only take so much more in. Something's got to go. And here's what Jan Johnson says. She says, we, we breathe in the oxygen of the real life of God. But the problem is we don't exhale the daily chaos that chokes out that real life of God. So we just keep taking things on, but we don't let go of anything. And at some point, we just feel kind of bloated. I keep trying to do more, and I keep trying to do more, and I keep trying to pray and read and study, and I keep trying to go to a small group because I should be involved with people, and I keep trying to serve and volunteer at the church. And finally, I just feel like I'm just, I'm just going to bust because we don't exhale. We don't let go of the things that we should let go of, the things that aren't the most important thing. See, the point of simplicity is to make room so that we can treasure God's own self. So you say, what, what should I exhale? What should I let go of? I think it's anything, anything that keeps you from focusing on the most important thing. Anything that keeps you from investing in the most important thing. Well, give me a list. Well, I can't give you a list. You have to do your own list. I can, I, can, I can talk to you. I can make some suggestions. So I think, I think busyness. Busyness is one of those things. You know? 
Dallas Willard says it's the greatest enemy of our souls today. Ruthlessly get rid of busyness in your life. But see, when I'm busy, (laughs) that means I'm important, right? Oh, you're a busy guy. Yeah, I'm a busy guy. I got a lot going on. Well, you must be important. I feel pretty important because I'm awfully busy. I think, uh, I think media. Media is one of those things that just grabs huge blocks of time. And it just kind of devours it over here somewhere. It's not like it's a 30-minute deal. It's, it's sometimes hours. It just grabs these big blocks of time in our life. And it just takes it over here and just, it's just gone. Where'd it go? I don't know. It, just, it was in front of the TV for a while. And all that time, just, it just disappeared. You know, and I think... I think social media, besides television, is another one of those things. By the way, do you know how to know if you're looking at social media too much? Do you know how to know that? Do you know what the, like the, the, the rule thing is for that? Oh, a lot of heads just kind of popped up. I like that when that happens. <laughs> Here's the way you know if you're looking at social media too much. Somebody has said to you, you're looking at social media too much. That's how you know. That's it. That's how you know. I, I, I think I think this one's harder to talk about, but I'm going to give it a try, okay? Stuff. Stuff. Just our obsession with stuff. Money. Materialism. More stuff. You know? There's a, a little gal who has been a part of our church who is now college age. And you know what? She made a decision that she would own no more possessions. No more possessions than she can fit in a backpack. You say, well, she's kind of out there, isn't she? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she goes to other countries and talks to people about Jesus and all kinds of stuff. There's a guy who's been a part of our church for a long time. He's now in grad school. He's made a commitment that at one point of his life, he will not own more than five shirts. Five. Rick, what's gotten into our kids? I think they've watched my generation. Believe the lie of the deceitfulness of wealth that money or stuff can fix anything in your life that's broken and they've realized it's not true and they realize they're being a little extreme but they're not going to buy into the lie of the generation before them. And they're not going to let the stuff and the wealth suck the kingdom of God out of them. I was on a plane one night trying to get home back when we lived in Cincinnati and I'm sitting by this lady and she was really nice and you know, she was, she was talking some, and you know me, I was talking some. And, and so she finally says to me, so what do you do? And you never know how that's going to land, you know, when you throw that one out there. That's just always kind of a concern. So I just have to kind of say it. I said, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church. Oh, well, tell me about your church. And I did, and then she said, let me tell you about my church. Have you ever heard of Ginghamsburg? And I said, I have. Just north of Cincinnati, north of Dayton there. And she said, you know, 
It's kind of crazy. We never thought we'd be a part of a church like this or a community like this. But, but they have learned to live simply together as a large church. They all live simply. She said, my husband and I are both execs. We fly all over the world. We've always had really nice homes in the nicest neighborhoods in the cities we live, but not anymore. We've bought in completely. And now we live simply. So that we can give away most of what we earn. And she said, can I tell you that our lives are so full? What if less is really more? What if there's something to this idea that the less I have, in reality, the more I have? What if I empty my life of a lot of stuff, but what happens is my life becomes a lot more full than it was before? There's a guy named Bob Goff. He's nuts, by the way. I love to hear him talk. Do you like him? You read any of his stuff? He spoke here a couple of years ago one night, and and I loved it. I just loved it. I thought it was awesome. And here's what Bob Goff does. He quits something every Thursday. Every Thursday he quits something. I think it's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And sometimes it's something real tangible like a job. And sometimes it's something not so tangible like uh, maybe he'll quit uh, like a bad attitude that he has or a bad habit or something like that. This weekly quitting is kind of wacky. Bob is a wacky guy. But despite the wackiness, there's a serious point. And here's what Bob says. So here's a Bob Goff quote. You ready? We can't change much if we don't quit much. Got your pencil sharpened? Did you write that one down? We can't change much if we don't quit much. Bob's admittedly crazy idea to quit something every Thursday is a way to force him to shake things up and change some things. It's a way to reevaluate and get rid of the stuff in his life that isn't that important. It's a way to create margin. And the whole point is to quit doing the things that hold you back. The whole point is to quit doing things that hold you back. The things that keep you from focusing your life on the thing that is most important in your life. The one thing that matters more than every other thing. So, I, I'm, I'm out of time, but I'm not going to stop. Can, can you go with me just for another minute or two? Um, We've got to talk about the reason. What's behind this whole thing, okay? And, and, and this is important stuff right here. I, I want you to lean in a bit. We, we were in another city in that now with some friends. And standing on this busy street corner in this other city, we saw some people we were in college with. They're all in ministry. There were three guys and one of them's wife. And they were in this other city. None of them lived there. And we're kind of standing there going, how weird is this that we see these people? My buddy Jeffrey knew them somewhat. And so we walk up and we said hello. And they looked as surprised to see us as we were to see them. And so 
they're talking to him because they've seen him recently. He's a district superintendent down in Texas, and some of them had been down there, and they're going, wait a minute. And he goes, yeah, do you guys remember Rick? He was in college with us, and I'm going, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I remember uh, your names. I remember you. We weren't close friends, but I remembered them. And they said, you, you're a pastor, right? Because weren't you a religion major? Yeah, I'm a pastor. And, and they said, where are you? And I said, we're in Oklahoma right now. And the subject kind of changed quickly. And then as the conversation goes on, I can see they're kind of sizing me up. Like, how, how did he do, you know, with life? And, and I'm kind of regretting the fact I didn't say, I'm at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene in Oklahoma. It's where I'm at, you know. This is a really strong church. Any pastor would be proud to be here. I'm thinking to myself, in fact... Where have you been living? With your head in the hollow ground? How wouldn't you know that I'm at Bethany First Church anyway, you know? I wanted them to know. And I get back to our room that night. and Man, I'm kind of bothered that they didn't know. And then I'm bothered that I'm bothered that they didn't know. One of the things Ann Johnson talks about in her book is impression management. We try to control what others think of us. There's a reason we do the things we do. There's a reason we live as we live. There's a reason we're concerned about the worries of life. And there's a reason we fall into the deceitfulness of wealth and our desire for other things. And the only way I know to get to the heart of it is to say to God, God, what do you want from me? God, haven't you always wanted me to be wealthy? I mean, isn't that what you've always wanted from me? Don't you want me to have money, God? And lots of it? And God, don't you want me to be busy? Don't you want it to look like I'm important to everybody? That I'll have this appearance of, hey, you're a busy guy. I am a busy guy. I must be really important, right? And God, didn't you always want me to be concerned about what everybody else thinks about me? That's why what I drive and what I wear matters so much. What are people going to think? Jesus says, no. I want you to get up every morning and depend on me for what you're going to eat that day. In fact, every day, I would teach you to pray this way. Give me today, Lord, my daily bread. I want you to depend on me every day of your life. I don't want you to worry about what everybody else thinks. I want you to worry about what I think. And I don't want you just to be busy running like crazy. Spending all of your life on the things that are not as important as the most important thing. I want you to give your life to finding me. See, the real question Ann Johnson would say is this. Is God enough? Or do I need all of that other stuff? So we'll wrap it up here. I sat down with a couple that I don't know very well. I've met them one time prior, and then, then I talked to them for a, for a good while this last week. And so it was an incredible experience to hear them share what God was doing in their lives. 
I mean, these people have experienced spiritual renewal on steroids. And somewhere in the conversation, you know what they said to me? We, uh, we did away with our television service, and then they were just to keep talking on and on. And after a while, I said, could we come back to that television conversation we had earlier about you stopping your television service? So, so you don't have television in your house, no? So would you mind telling me how life is different now that you don't have television in your house? And they said, yeah, you know, when we come home in the evenings, we, we talk to each other a whole lot. A lot. A couple of our kids are married. We have one at home, but, you know, when they're around, we, we all talk. We, we, we play a lot together as a family. We, we play outside games. We, we know our neighbors now. It's kind of neat. We read. We devour books. We had a bookshelf. It had some books on it. Now it's full and there's books stacked all along the bookshelf. I mean, there's just books everywhere. We just read. It, it really sounds like kingdom kind of stuff to me. And now we're making time for the one thing that is more important than all the other things in our life. Just, just by quitting one thing. The reason I want to throw this thing is because I love television. So Annette and I have been on this little journey here lately since I've been reading this book. And we've said, what if we only watch television together about a half hour or an hour in the evening? And then we turn it off. It's honestly kind of awkward. We just sometimes look at each other like, what do you think we should do now? <laughs> Not making this up. You could relate. So that's what we've quit. We haven't, we haven't given it up. We've just quit this long-term view. So here's the assignment. There's no invitation to come forward today, nothing like that. You're going to be out the door in minutes. But here's, here's kind of the assignment. Here's the call. Here's the response. This week, you ready? Quit something. Something that's holding you back. Something that keeps you from giving your life, your time, your energy, your attention to the one thing that matters more than all the other things. Just one thing. I'm just going to be a little more simple. I'm going to reduce my life a bit. I'm getting one thing kind of out of the way. I'm going to simplify just a bit. One thing. And we'll throw something on the city. And we'll try to get you back addicted to social media. <laughs> and we can talk about it together. Okay? So we'll put something out there. And if you'd like to respond and talk about what you've quit, that'd be great. Okay? So let's stand.
So I'll pray for you before you go. And I'll pray for me. Father, help us as a church, a community of faith, to buy in to this idea that maybe less would really be more. And what is it that keeps us from investing our life, our time, our energy into the one thing that matters more than all the other things? Help us to quit something this week and to focus more on nurturing our relationship with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.